You know, I'm not quite sure how our service is going to end today, but I can promise you, at least I'm hopeful, that it won't end today the way that it ended last week at New Welcome Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. Have any of you read the reports of what happened last week at the end of the church service at New Welcome Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama? After the church service, the pastor of the church, Daryl Riley, called the music pastor of the church, whose name was Simon Moore, into a closed-door meeting with all the deacons of the church, the people who ran the church. And they brought him in the meeting, and they subsequently fired him on the spot and let him know that that day would be his last day, and he, and he didn't need to come back. Knowing that this might have happened, Simon, the pastor, Simon Moore, said he, he thought this might have happened. So when he left the house that morning, he brought his taser with him in case anything went wrong after the service. True story. And as the pastor was trying to fire him, he stood up and he tased the pastor with his, with his taser. This prompted one of the deacons to stand up and attack the music pastor whose mother rushed into the room and began hitting the deacon who pulled out a knife and stabbed the mother several times. When the deacon pulled out his knife, the music pastor's brother rushed in the room. He had his own knife and he began to stab people. And after being tased a second time, the last thing that Simon Moore did before they wrestled him to the ground and arrested him was he grabbed the money box from the head usher where all the offering was stored that day and he took it and he threw it at the pastor and hit him in the head. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds like a a good old Baptist potluck to me. You know, if you've ever been to a a good old-fashioned church, that's what happened at the end of church last week at New Welcome Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. I don't think anything like that is going to happen here today. First, the the lady who leads the singing is is my wife. Um, And while she probably thought about tasing me a time or two, I I don't think she's going to do it today. But as I read that article last Sunday night, it, it already hit the newswire Sunday night. I thought, what in the world? has happened to the church. I mean, what in the world has happened to people who call themselves Christians, who are leading the church, who are supposed to be about loving God and helping people love God? What has happened to the church? What has happened to Christianity? And I ask myself this question. As we sit in the year 2011, I ask myself the question, are we even headed in the right direction anymore? I mean, as, as a church, as, as Christians, as a religion, are we headed in the right direction anymore, or have we lost our course somewhere? Can I ask you a question that, that maybe you can answer, maybe you can't answer this morning, but it, it's a question I want you to ponder, even if you can't answer it. What's the goal of your spiritual journey in life? For those of you pursuing spiritual things, for those of you who are maybe engaged in church on a weekly basis or pursuing some kind of higher power, what's the goal of your spiritual journey? What do you want to get out of life spiritually? For those of you who call yourself a Christian and, and go to church faithfully, do you have more of a spiritual goal than just going to heaven someday, or is that it? You just, you just want to go to heaven when you die. Have you achieved your spiritual goal? Are you closer to achieving it today than you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Is it even possible to achieve what you want spiritually? Are you pursuing a spiritual goal? Do you even have a spiritual goal in life? Do you, have, do you ever even wake up and think, this is where I want to be one day, how do I get there? You know, our entire church right now, for those of you who were here last week, is on a 40-day journey together, and, and we're reading this book that we handed out last week. We're going to hand these out at the end of service today. If you're one of our guests today, we've bought dozens of these so that you can have one. If you never come back to our church, we want you to take one of these home with you so it can sit on your shelf. We believe this will help you discover your purpose spiritually. It's called The Purpose Driven Life, but you read about eight minutes a day. And on day three this week, the author of that book, Rick Warren, said that having a purpose in life, really does five things for you. If you have a purpose in life versus 
just living life. Having a purpose in life does five things. First, it gives meaning to your life. When you have a purpose, you can keep score. And you know whether you're doing a good job or a bad job versus just living. Warren says when you have a purpose, it simplifies your life. It allows you to know what to say no to. It allows you what to, know how, what, what to have time for and what not to have time for. Having a purpose focuses your life and helps you on a weekly basis do what you want to do or you want to have done by the time you, you end your life. Having a purpose motivates your life. Gives you something to live for, something that's really important. And having a purpose in life prepares you for eternity. It, it, it kind of helps you understand what you're hoping to achieve on the other side of eternity. You know, a very simple purpose for life could be called a bucket list. Things that you really want to do in this lifetime. But what is your spiritual bucket list? Or do you even, wanna, do you even have one? Or do you just want to go to heaven one day? You know, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3 today. Because that's the text we're going to study. And our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot a Bible, if, if you'd like a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you need one, just wave at them. They'll give you one. You can use it and give it back. You can keep it forever. That's it, fine. But we love, if you're going to come to our church consistently, we'd love for you to bring your Bible. We'll always open it. We'll always study it. On our grand opening, I'll begin a seven-week series teaching through the book of James called Rethink Church. And we're going to see what church is really supposed to be about, and I'll teach every week from the book of James. So if you have a Bible, bring that with you. But today, we're in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is, a, is, an, is an interesting book in the New Testament. And by the way, we handed you when you walked in a, a, what looks like kind of a little outline. This will help you follow along. You can take notes on this, fill in the blanks. You can fill in more than the blanks, whatever you want to do. But that will kind of help you understand where we are as we head through but the book of Philippians is just one book in the New Testament that a man named Paul wrote. This man actually wrote almost half the books in the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of them. And of all the books that he wrote, Philippians is, is what I would call the least controversial. Paul went, and what Paul did is he started churches kind of all over the world. And most of the churches that he started had major issues. The people in them were really messed up. We have two letters in our Bible called First and Second Corinthians. And in the church in Corinth, I mean, that church was so messed up, they had one of the leaders in the church who was having sex with his, with his stepmom, and everyone said, well, you know, I guess that's cool. And Paul said, no, that's, you know, you shouldn't do that. Christians shouldn't do that. Non-Christians shouldn't do that. Probably nobody should have sex with their stepmother. And that's what a lot of the books of the Bible were about, Paul addressing issues. In First and Second Thessalonians, Paul had planted a church in Thessalonica, and they'd all quit their jobs. And they said, we're just going to wait for Jesus to come back. And they, they function more like a cult than a church. So Paul said, listen, don't quit your jobs. Don't quit living life. Just live for Jesus. But the church in Philippi didn't have any big issues. Really, it was more of a note, Paul writing to them saying, thank you. And in the book of Philippians, we have Paul bearing his heart more than any other book in the Bible, just letting them know how he's doing spiritually. And as we get to Philippians chapter 3, he shares his heart like no place else in, in his New Testament letters. And in Philippians chapter 3, I believe we have Paul's mission statement for his life. We have Paul's spiritual goal for his life. Paul told the church at Philippi, because he wasn't having to correct them because they were all messed up, he said, I just I want you to know how, how I'm doing, and here's how I'm doing spiritually, and here's where I'm trying to go spiritually. And he kind of gave his life's purpose statement or mission statement. Philippians chapter 3 We'll start in verse 10. We'll go through verse 14. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you today. And Paul said, I rejoice. I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 4. Paul said, verse 10, I want 
to know Christ. If you have a Bible, even one that we've handed you, I want you to underline that in your Bible with that pen we gave you. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, he said, not that I've already done this, not that I've already obtained all of this, or that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, what's so interesting about this text is who Paul was. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible or church stuff, Paul was probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. Paul is the Michael Jordan of Christianity, of New Testament Christianity. Paul is the Joe Montana of New Testament Christianity. Paul is who Tiger Woods used to be before he forgot, to play, forgot how to play golf. Um, but Paul, I mean, Paul was the best of the best of the best. Nobody did more than Paul. Nobody knew more than Paul. Nobody was given a bigger challenge than Paul. I mean, Paul was the man spiritually. If anybody was doing it right spiritually, Paul was. Yet here's Paul saying, here's my purpose in life. I've got to get better. I've got to get better. The world will look at him and say, if you've got to get better, we've got to get way better. But Paul said real quickly, and just, just five, these are kind of afterthoughts, but I want you to see them here today. Paul listed in these few verses his spiritual goals. First, he said, I, I really want to know Jesus. Again, if anyone knew Jesus, Paul did. Probably nobody outside the 12 disciples knew Jesus better than Paul did, especially when it came to understanding who he was spiritually. Yet here's Paul at the end of his life saying, I know a lot about Jesus, but I could know more. I need to know Jesus better. He said, secondly, I want to go to heaven. Man, it's an interesting comment. But I, I love his honesty. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to raise from the dead just like he did. I want to go to heaven. And, you know, I don't know that there's a person alive who doesn't, who, who doesn't want to go to heaven. And, you know, if you're in the room today and, and you don't know if you're going to heaven, you want to go to heaven, but you're not sure how to get there, we can help you with that before you leave today. But Paul's spiritual goal, he said, I want, to know who, I want to know Jesus. I want to go to heaven. Number three, he said, I want to understand Christianity. I thought this was really interesting. He said, I'm trying to understand what it was like to participate in the life of Jesus. We call that Christianity. I want to understand how to really, how to, how to be a Christian. I mean, Paul's teaching the world how to be a Christian. And he says, I'm trying to figure it out for myself. He said, fourth, I want to forget my past. Man, this, this may be the only thing you need to hear today spiritually. That it's okay to forget your past. I mean, here's Paul. You say, who was Paul before he became this great Christian? He was a murderer. He was a murderer. He used to kill Christians. Then he had this unbelievable conversion. And I think Paul, every day of his life, thought back to the people he had killed and, and struggled with guilt. And I don't know what is in your past, but I know it's okay to have a spiritual goal to forget your past. And man, I hope if you don't hear anything else at this church in the history of your life, that you hear that it's okay to forget your past and move beyond it. And then Paul said, number five, I want to work hard for my spiritual future. I want to try to be the best I can be spiritually. Now, we could stop right there, close the Bible, and say amen. I mean, that's enough of a Bible lesson for today. I mean, that is that good in its content of what Paul wanted to do. But we can't do that until we understand our spiritual journey that we're on. Until you understand the spiritual journey that you're on. Until you understand where you are, where you want to go, 
and how you're going to get there. Because all of us are on this journey we call life, and all of us are either going forward or backwards or sideways spiritually. How do we get where we need to be? How do we understand our spiritual journey? I asked many of you last week to start a 40-day journey with me as we read through this book that hopefully by September 16th, we launch our, our grand opening of our church is September 18th. And on that day, I'm going to ask you to invite everyone you even know to come and be a part of our church that day so they can see a brand new church kicking off here in Jackson County, ministering just over County Line Road in Cass County. We want everyone to come that day. But before we get to that day, it's our hope that when that day arrives, you'll say, I know who I am spiritually. I know where I need to go spiritually. And like Paul, you might say, I might not be there, but I'm on the way. I'm trying to get there. Today, I want to give you three keys to understanding your spiritual journey. And this is, I mean, this is the starting line of you understanding where, where God wants you to go spiritually and how you're going to get there. But a lot of us need to change our mindset. Before we can understand what we desire to accomplish spiritually, we have to understand things in our life that, that help us kind of change the way we look at church, change the way we look at Jesus, change the way we look at being a Christian. There has to be more to being a Christian than deacons and pastors tasing each other and stabbing each other, right? I mean, there's got to be more to being a Christian than that. So I want to share some things with you this morning, keys to understanding your spiritual journey, some things I want you to remember for the rest of your life. Number one, you have to understand who you are to God. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about that in the world today. As a matter of fact, if we drew up a list of every type of person you could imagine, and we were to say, rank these on who God loves and who God doesn't, most of society today would actually have a category of people that they think God doesn't love, that God doesn't care for, that God doesn't like. And I'll be honest, most of my life I thought I was in that category. We need to understand who God is before we can begin our spiritual journey. You know, God is not just an arbitrary judge of your life who's keeping score of wrong versus right. God isn't an outsider who one day when you die will decide whether or not you were good enough, but up until then, he really didn't care. The Bible says that God is like a great dad. And the reason I say great dad instead of like a dad is because some of us didn't have great dads. And for me to say God is like a father... Well, the father you know you don't like, you don't care for. He was mean to you, he was mean to your mom, he was mean to your siblings. You don't care for your dad, he wasn't a good man. So when you hear someone say, God is like your dad, you say, well, God's like my dad, then I don't like God. God's not like every dad. God's like a great dad. God may not be like your dad, but he's like the dad you wanted. For those of us who are dads, God may not be like us as we are, but he, he is who we want to be. He, he's the perfect father according to scripture and you know what we say things about god that we don't truly understand if, if you grew up around church you might have prayed this little prayer around the table before a meal before snack in, in children's ministry and the prayer goes something like this god is great god is what's the word good good does not rhyme with food but they try to make it crammed together you know god is good let us thank him for his food no, i mean it doesn't rhyme but we say that prayer god is good do you really believe god is good do you believe God? Can you sit here and say, God's been really good to me in my life. God's really taken care of me. I think a lot of us debate whether or not God's good at this point in time in our life. But Jesus said God is good and that he loves us the right way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, he tried to help people understand what God was like. And he said this in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He said, parents, if your children ask you for bread, are you going to give them a stone instead? 
If they ask for a fish, are you going to give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, he say, if you're flawed and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, God is good to us, and God desires good in our life. And some of you might say, you know, my life has not been real good the last month. My life has not been real good the last year. So where's God been in my life, Christian? Because things are not good right now. You know, the answer is I don't know. I I don't know why what has happened has happened. I don't know how what has happened has happened. I know we live in a messed up world where things go wrong all the time. And I'm going to read a quote in a a little bit about how, how we just have to learn to live through everything in life. Senseless tragedies being some of those. You know, we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of September 11th just in a, in, a, in a few weeks. So if God is good, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't. But I have to trust what the Bible says that when it comes to my life, that even the bad things, God can take them and he can turn them for good because he wants what's best for my life. The Bible says God is good. The Bible says that God enjoys your life. Now, for me, I wouldn't have believed that growing up because I knew what type of person I was. But I went to a church that basically told me that when it came to me and God, he was probably always disappointed with me. He was probably angry with me. He was irritated with me that, you know, I annoyed God. I ashamed, you know, I shamed God. I, I grew up thinking that God was ashamed of me, not that God really enjoyed my life. But the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 23, and 24, According to the Bible, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God delights in his way. Though he fall, he won't be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I want you to read that verse again, because when I comprehended this verse, it changed my life. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way. Is he perfect? No. Though he falls, we're all going to fall, and we're all going to have horrible days and weeks and months and years and seasons spiritually. Even when he falls... God's not going to cast him away because he really enjoys his life. Now, those of us who are parents know how this works. We have, we have days where our kids are just like the most awesome kids in the world. And, and we just enjoy them to death. And then we have days where they're absolute idiots. And I, and I mean, we just, you know, it, they, they are, they, we think, you know, this, these are the dumbest kids that God's ever created on the face of the planet. You're laughing because you know it's true. We wouldn't say that in front of our kids, but it's true. You know, sometimes my kids do the most awesome thing. They draw me pictures. They write me cards. My son's playing football, and we were at football practice yesterday, and he was, you know, he was doing well playing linebacker. And I was so proud of him. But sometimes my kids do stuff that just make me shake my head and just think, what is wrong with them? You know, my son is 10 and my little girl's 7. And a few years ago when they were like either 5 and 2 or 6 and 3, probably 6 and 3, we were in my house, and my wife had to leave the house to run an errand, and, and she yelled to me as she was walking out of the garage, Hey, I'm leaving. I'll be back. Watch the kids. Which means to me absolutely nothing. I mean, I just kept right on, right on working. And Danielle shuts the door, and the car drives away, and I'm working, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know, okay, watch the kids. But, I mean, I don't check on I don't see where they are. I mean, that's, that's how I watch the kids when she's gone. And within a few minutes... They were outside my, the, the little room I have in our house in my office. They were outside the door, and it was like WrestleMania 10, just going crying, kicking, punching, screaming, pulling hair, laughing, crying all at the same time. And I'm sitting here trying to work, and after two or three minutes, I just said, Enough! Enough! Stop! Go to your rooms. That's how I watch the kids when Danielle's not there. Go to your room. You can come out when your mom gets home. 
So they take off walking to the room, and my little girl says, I have to use the bathroom. I said, fine, use the bathroom. My son says, I have to use the bathroom. I said, fine, use the bathroom. We have plenty of bathrooms in our house for them both to go to the bathroom. But I hear them start arguing, I'm going first, I'm going first, I'm going first. And I, right as I'm getting ready to yell, shut up, which I did, you should never yell as a parent, I hear them say, let's go at the same time. And I think, I did that. That's exactly what I did right there. I thought, and I heard the door shut and lock. They clicked the button. And I thought, oh no. So I'm out of my chair and I'm running and I'm banging on the door. Let me in. No use about it. Let me in. And they're laughing. That's how, that's what the kids do when moms, they'd laugh at me when their mom's at home. Let me in. Don't use about it. You can't do this. So I reach on the little door frame for the little stick, you know, that opens the, the doors. And there's no stick that opens the doors. So I race to another doorway and they're in there doing God knows what. And, you know, no stick on the door. So I'm, I finally find a stick and I get back and right as I put the stick in the hole, I hear it laughing and Casey says, brother, that's really warm. Oh, man. I mean, my mind flashed back to Dumb and Dumber. If you've ever seen that movie, they're riding up the cold mountain and one of them pees on the other one. He says, man, that's really warm. I mean, that was my exact thought. My second thought was, Daniel's going to kill me. So I stick the deal in the door, open it. And there's Casey sitting sideways on the toilet, facing me, smiling, and Christian behind her, peeing off her back into the toilet like it's a backboard. And I thought, Lord. I didn't, the first thing I said was not stop peeing. The first thing I said was, you cannot tell your mother that this happened. Okay? Now stop peeing, please. Now, I enjoy my kids. Sometimes they do the dumbest things. But I enjoy my kids. And I think a lot of us look at, look at God, and we think at God looking at the things that we've messed up and done wrong, and we think He just hates us. And He's just ashamed of us. And we can't picture that, that God enjoys us, that He, you know, and I don't think God laughs over our sin, because He's a holy God. But He understands that we're imperfect. That's why He sent His Son to deal with that. To die for our sins so that, that we wouldn't have to be perfect. Psalm 37 says, God enjoys me. And even when I'm not perfect, He helps me get back up and keep going. Even when I'm, you know, peeing on people spiritually, which I shouldn't do, God enjoys my life. You know that the Bible says that God really knows you? And I'm not talking about, you know, knows where you live, but the Bible says God knows you better than you know yourself. You know, the Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on your head. I mean, that's a, that's a crazy fact to even think about for most of us. Some of you, there's, there, there's not much left, so it's easy for you. You may know how much is on your head, but people with hair? Matthew 11.30, Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. I know how many hairs you have. I don't know how many hairs I have. You probably don't know how many hairs you have. If you went home today and tried to count your hair, I bet you wouldn't come within a thousand. And God says, I know how many hairs you have. That's how well I know you. You know the Bible says that God knows how many tears you have cried in your life. Some of you have cried a lot of tears in the last month, the last year. And you know the hurt, but you couldn't even begin to add up the tears. But you know God cares about you so much, he's counted every tear. Look at Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in the bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Say, God, you care so much when my heart is broken that you record the reason I cry every tear. That's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says that God knows how many day or what's going on every day of your life. He knows about every day of your life, not just the good and the bad. Psalm 139, 16, David said, you saw me before I was born. 
Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God knows every day of your life. That's how involved he wants to be with you. The Bible says God has plans for your life. Great plans for your life if you all could connect. In Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite verses, the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You say, yeah, but he was writing that to religious people who really loved him. No, he wasn't. He was telling that to Israel who at the time was so far from God. They were worshiping idols. They were doing, I mean, they were killing their kids in order to worship. I mean, crazy messed up spiritual stuff. And God said, if you would just come back, the things we could do together. Man, I could really bless your life. I care about you that much. I have plans about you. And then the Bible says God really cares about us. I mean, he really cares about us deep down. 1 Peter 5, 7. I love what Peter says here in the New Living Translation. Give all your worries and cares to God. He cares about you. Everything you're worried about. Everything that's breaking your heart. Just give that to God because he really cares about you. You see, before you can begin your spiritual journey, you, ha- you have to understand who you are to God and understand how much God loves you. But then you also, number two, you have to understand who God is to you. So you have to understand who you are to God. You have to understand how much God cares about you. But then you need to understand the relationship that God wants to have with you. Because it's really not about religious stuff. It's not about coming to church or reading your Bible. Those are part of it, but not all of it. You know, some people see God like a boss. That They work for God. And, and when you see God like a boss, you can clock in and you can clock out. And you know what? Some of us might really like our boss, but we don't want to hang out with him on our day off. We don't want to go on vacation with him or her. I mean, we might enjoy our boss, but at the end of the day, we don't want to be around them every day. And if we see God as a boss, we get a mentality that there are times when he's kind of off limits. We don't want him around. Some of us see God like a principal. And you know what? No matter how much you liked your principal when you were in school, you did not want them coming to the parties on Friday night after the football game, after homecoming, after prom. Because they were there to regulate. They were there to make sure everyone just followed the rules. And some people see God like a principal, making sure you're following all the rules. Some people see God kind of like a banker, an investor. He's just there to make sure you get the most value out of your life. You deposit a little bit of good deeds, and he pours back some spiritual stuff in your life. But do you know what the Bible says God wants to be to you? The Bible says that God wants to be your best friend. Your best friend. Now, can you remember the days when you had a best friend? I mean, I remember in elementary school, my best friend was Jeff. And we met, we had a little Christmas program at the, at the kindergarten I went to. There was a, a morning kindergarten and an afternoon kindergarten. We weren't in the same kindergarten class. He was in the morning, I was in the afternoon. But we had to do the same Christmas play together. And I'll never, I, mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I walked in and I grew up in southern Ohio when Pete Rose was still a great baseball player for the Reds. And I walked in and Jeff had on a Pete Rose watch. And I thought, man, that is cool. And I walked over to him, and we started talking about his watch. I was really jealous. I wanted that watch, and we became best friends. Man, we traded thousands upon thousands of baseball cards with each other. We rode our bikes all over the little town I grew up in. We played sports. I mean, we, you know, we were best friends. You ever have a friend that you spent more time at their house than your house? That was Jeff. I loved his mom's cooking. Man, his mom, you know, if, if I wanted a good dinner, I would go to Jeff's house because his mom's cooking was unbelievable. Not that my mother's wasn't. But Brenda's, man, I mean, she, she, could, she could make some food now. And it was always so good. 
in middle school, my, in, in high school, my best friend was Todd. And from 7th grade through 12th grade, we lockered right next to each other. We ate lunch every, every day together. For Really, from 7th through 12th grade, we, we ate lunch together almost every day. We were so close. We played all the sports together. For a year, when we were freshmen, we dated twins. I want you to think about how crazy that is. We double dated almost every weekend for a year with girlfriends that looked the exact same. I mean, that's almost weird, freaky. But that's how close we were. You know, as adults, you don't really, you know, you don't maybe have a best friend. My best friend now is Danielle, my wife. If I have an hour of free time, I want to hang out with Danielle. If I have a lunch cancellation, I want to go out to lunch with Danielle. I love going to movies and watching TV. I mean, Danielle is is my best friend now. But we don't talk about best friends much anymore. You know, in the text message world, you don't even say the word best friend. It's just, you know, BBF or BFF. You remember the old school way, what you and your best friend would do? I mean, if you were really tight. You become blood brothers. Y'all remember that? You know, you'd prick your finger and they'd prick theirs and, or whatever and you'd touch them together and I mean like your DNA would fuse. To, nobody does that anymore because everybody's so afraid of getting sick with something that they carry Purell and you know, as soon as they shake someone's hand they go and wash themselves up. But back in the day, man, we, we had blood brothers. We were tight. We were close. God wants to be that close to you. God wants to be a blood brother. Look at John 15, 15. It'll be on the screen behind you. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I don't call you slaves anymore. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, you're my friends, since I've told you everything the Father's told me. You say, well, that's, you know, that's New Testament. You know, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus can be a friend, but God, God, God's not anyone's friend, not according to the Bible. James 2.23 says, Abraham, he's an Old Testament guy, believed God, and he was called God's friend. Exodus 33.11, Moses is an Old Testament guy. It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to his friend. So what does it mean to be a best friend, to have a best friend? It means you're there when someone's hurting. You're there when someone's happy. You're the first phone call when everything goes wrong or everything goes right. You just want to be around them. You enjoy the same things they enjoy, and, and you want to live life together. God wants to live life with you. He doesn't just want you to come to church all the time. He wants to live life with you. He wants to go to the Chiefs games and the Royals games and, and NASCAR and golfing and fishing. He just wants to hang out. God wants to be a best friend. And when we understand at our church how to have a relationship with God instead of engaging in religion, I think your spiritual journey will drastically change. And you'll be like Paul saying, you know, I can never keep all the rules, but I've got a few things I'm trying to do, and I'm getting there. And then finally, if you're going to understand your spiritual journey, you have to understand who you are to God. You have to understand how much he loves you. You have to understand who he is to you, that he wants to be your best friend, not, not some God in heaven, but your best friend. He wants to have a relationship with you. But then you need to understand what life with God is all about. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow God? Well, Paul told us that in Philippians three twelve through 14. If you have your Bibles, I want to go back to that. If not, it, it should be on the screen behind me. But I want to look at these verses because this was Paul's spiritual journey. And I love his honesty here. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 12, Paul said, remember his spiritual goals. I want to know Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I want to forget my past. I, you know, I want to understand Christianity. And there was one more in there somewhere I can't remember. So those were Paul's goals. But here he says in verse 12, these are my goals, verse 12, but I'm not there yet. I, I haven't already obtained all this. I haven't already arrived at my goals but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, what a change of heart and mind for Paul, and a positive one. Paul said, in my former life, I tried to keep all the rules religiously. And here's what he said. I did a really good job at it. But I can never be perfect. Now I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to be closer to Jesus. Now, now it's not about checking off 10 out of 10 rules. I did all these 10 things. Now it's just, I just, I want to be a better Christian. And he went from trying to keep all the rules to claiming that he couldn't even if he tried. And he became kind of like Outback. Outback Steakhouse one of my favorite places to eat. I ate there last night. And you know Outback's slogan? No rules, just right. No rules, just right. That's kind of what Paul, Paul said. Listen, this new form of Christianity, it's not about rules. It's just right. It's just trying to live for God and understand who He is and be a little bit better every day. Would you even be in a relationship that came with rules? Can you imagine, ladies, if your husband dropped to a knee and said, Will you marry me? And you said yes. And then he handed you ten commandments of his life that, you know, I'm glad you decided to marry me. Now here's the ten things you have to do every day to be married to me. Who wants to be in a relationship like that? Or, or you have a relationship with a friend who says, Listen, I'll be your friend, but only if you're going to do all these things. You say, Forget you. I don't need you. And I think that's why so many people have left the church. It's not that they don't love God, it's just that they've been presented with a relationship that is a list of rules, and they said, I'm out. I won't, do that. I won't do that personally, and I won't do that spiritually. And Paul said, it's not about that anymore. You need more, you, you, you need more than rules. You need a relationship with God that's real. You need a relationship with God where when you really need help, you can let Him know you really need help. You need a relationship with God where when you're really happy, you, you, your prayer sounds something like this. Man, thanks God. That's really cool. You need God to become your best friend. I love what the author of Hebrews says. It's the only New Testament book that we don't know exactly who wrote it. So we call him the author of Hebrews other than his name. So we don't know who he or she is. But in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says this. Here, here's another great summary of how to live the Christian life. Let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what he said? Let's just keep trying. Let's just keep trying at this thing called Christianity and see how we do. You know, the truth is that your spiritual life is a journey. It's actually why our church is named the name that it is. Because a few years ago, you know, I grew up in church being told what to do, and I don't think I was told that if I did it, I would become the perfect Christian, but I think it was kind of understood. Just do this, this, you know, and every Sunday, do this, do this, do this. And I always thought, you know, if I'll just read my Bible and I pray and maybe memorize some scripture and give a little money to the church and tell someone about Jesus and stop cussing and, and you know, go on a mission trip. If I do like all these things, then it's being conveyed to me that I'll be like the perfect Christian. And you know what? I got to my point in, in my mid-20s where I was doing all those things. And I realized I am so far from the perfect Christian. And God said, it's, it's about the journey. It's not about keeping the rules. It's just about the journeys one day at a time. And I kind of claimed that word for my spiritual life. So when we knew we were going to begin a church, I said, let's call it the journey. And let's just help people one day at a time try to know who God is. You know, Rick Warren on day five this week. Like I said, in this little book, we read one day at a time, about ten minutes a day. He said this on day five about the journey that we live in life. He said, we don't know all the tests that God will give us, but we can predict some of them based on the Bible. I want you to listen real closely now, because maybe some of these have thrown off your Christianity. 
You'll be tested by major things, by delayed promises, by impossible problems, by unanswered prayers, by undeserved criticism, and even by senseless tragedies. In my own life, I've noticed that God tests my faith through problems, Warren says. He tests my hope by how I handle my possession. And he tests my love through people. When you understand that life is a test, you realize nothing is insignificant in your life. And I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe, to read them backwards, you've gone through senseless tragedy. Something so horrible that makes no sense. And you're saying, God, how does that work? Maybe it's undeserved criticism. Maybe somebody's really on your back for something. You just want them to go away. Maybe it's unanswered prayers. You've been praying God will do something for you for a long time and he hasn't. And you're wondering where he is. Maybe it's an impossible problem. Something you've been facing that you see absolutely no answer to. Maybe it's a delayed promise. Maybe it's some other major thing. But God says, even in that, even in that, I want to be in your life. You know, two weeks ago, my, my son turned 10. And every year on his birthday, two weeks ago today, on July 31. And every year on his birthday, we take him to a, a little steakhouse in town. And we let him order an adult steak off the, off the big menu. The one that cost a lot, not the little kid steak. And we go to this place, and there's this teriyaki ribeye that he really, really likes. Every time we go there, he asks for it, and we say no, because it costs like 24 bucks or, or something, and the kid's steak is like six. Well, if you've ever eaten the kid's steak, you understand why it's six. It's, six. it's terrible at, at this restaurant. But we go to this restaurant, he said, you know, Dad, can I get the teriyaki? I said, you know what, it's your birthday. Yep, you can get whatever you want. So he gets it, and Casey says, well, I want the teriyaki steak. And I said, there's no way. Your steak is like four times less than that one, so no, you can't get that. So she starts crying at the table. And ask the waitress, look, can they make that little steak taste like this one and not make me pay anymore? I mean, and that's, that's what I'm asking her. And she said, you know what? The, the ribeye's been marinated in this teriyaki all day long. But we have some of the sauce once bring it out and she can dip it in it and it'll be the same. Perfect. So in case, we're going to get you a good steak too. So they bring out the steak and Christian's eating his steak and I'm helping him eat it. And I mean, it's delicious, man. I mean, it's just been saturated in this teriyaki sauce. And Casey's over there with the most horrible look on her face, dipping this, this like hockey puck of a steak in this little teriyaki sauce. It's like so thick, you can barely swallow it and eat. And, and, and my dad, my steak is not very good. I said, yes, it tastes, it's fine. No, dad, my steak's not very good. She tasted it. And I tasted it, and it was terrible. And I thought, man, this tastes nothing like, like the good steak. And here's what had happened. We had all the same, I mean, the, the, the elements were the exact same, meat, and teriyaki, meat and teriyaki, but one difference. One piece of meat had spent so much time in that teriyaki that it had actually changed the nature of that meat. It had changed the taste of that meat. From the inside out, that, that thing was a different flavor than the other one. And the other one, I mean, you could put that sauce all you could dip it in as many times as you want, and that meat was not going to taste like that teriyaki. And you know what is happening in a lot of churches today? There are a lot of Christians who are just trying to dip in Christianity and they're wondering why it's not changing them on the inside. You know, they've, they've got their Bible and every now and then they dip in it, but they don't feel it changing them. They've got a church that they go to every now and then and every now and then they dip in, but it doesn't change them. Every now and then they'll pray when they need something, but that little prayer dip doesn't change them. And what's happening is you just haven't spent enough time with God yet for your insides to begin to be like His where you actually begin to, to sound like and look like and not taste like, that would be awkward, but that's the thought of the illustration. Your nature changes so you're different spiritually from the inside out. 
See, what we want to do at our church is, is take you on a journey. Spiritual growth is more, than an, is, is more of an attitude than an action. It's who you become, not, not what you begin doing. So you can begin coming to church and not grow spiritually, or you can have the attitude that I'm going to begin my journey and I'm going to get better just a little bit at a day, a, a little bit every day. You know, our church is designed to help you move forward on your journey. As a matter of fact, our mission statement is this. Here's why our church exists. We exist to see people who are far from God for one reason or another become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. And you know what? The first step of becoming a Christian, the first step of becoming God's best friend, the first step of your spiritual journey is becoming a Christian. And maybe there are some of you in the room who need to do that today. But after the first step, there's always a next step. Maybe the next step you need to take today is you need to learn how to forget your past and forgive yourself. Learn how to forget your past and just trust that whatever happened, happened, you can't change it, but it can be better going forward. Maybe your next step today is to dig into the journey and one day at a time try to get to know Jesus a little better while you're on your way to heaven. I don't know what it is, but you do. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. And we're going to pray together, and then we'll be done in just a minute. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, just nobody looking around, just, just for the, the comfort of those who are here. If you're in the room today, and you'd like to be further along on the spiritual journey than you are, but you realize you've never even started the spiritual journey. You know, you hear Paul saying, I want to go to heaven, and you say, I want to go to heaven, but I, I don't know if I am. I mean, I hope I am, but I don't know if I am. You know, you can know today before you leave this room whether or not you're going to heaven when you enter into the next life. You can start your life brand new over today by becoming a Christian. And if you've never done that, I want to pray a prayer with you that's really, really simple. You don't have to pray it out loud. You just have to pray it in your heart. But the Bible says that the God who's good to you, the God who loves you, the God who cares about you, the God who enjoys you is listening. And right now, if by faith you'll say, I'm ready to start this journey, Man, God will rescue you, forgive you, save you forever, and begin the greatest journey of your life with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to take the first step of your spiritual journey today and you need to become a Christian, would you just pray these words in your heart? Don't, don't pray them out loud. You don't have to move your mouth, but just pray them in your heart. God, here's the prayer of our hearts, dear God. Today, I need to begin my spiritual journey. Today, I want to become a Christian. I pray that you'll forgive me for my sin because I'm not perfect, never have been, probably never will be. But I ask that you'll forgive me and that you'll make me brand new. Change my nature from the inside so I become more like Jesus. Let me go to heaven one day when I die. Help me to understand what Christianity is. Help me to forget my past. I'll try to work hard to be a good Christian. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer today and said, Christian, today I started my spiritual journey. Today I prayed and asked God to make me a Christian. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up just so that I can know that just all over there, I'm Christian. I prayed that prayer. Just slip your hand up, up quick and down quick. Thank you. And maybe there are some of you here with heads still bowed and eyes still closed that have Paul's prayer in mind. You're really struggling with something that happened in your past. 
Maybe something in your recent past that's happened that's, that's, that's kind of gripping your heart against God. Maybe the way you were treated. Maybe the way you were abused. Maybe, some, maybe something you did that you can't forgive yourself of. If you're in the room today and your prayer is that God will help you forget your past, I just want to lead you in a prayer. So would you just maybe just lift your hand up and say, yeah, that, that's me. Nobody's looking but me right now. I just I need to pray that God will help me forget my past. For those of you who just raised your hand or maybe those of you who didn't, but this is your prayer. Just pray this with me, not out loud, but just in your heart. Dear God, I need you to help me forget my past. I know you don't hold it against me. So help me to stop holding it against me. Help me like Paul to forget it and to move forward. And finally, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in the room and you just you need to take the next steps on your spiritual journey, and I don't know what that means, but you do. It's time to get back to something. It's time to begin doing something. It's time to, to move forward spiritually. I want you to pray this prayer. Again, not out loud, but just in your heart. Pray this prayer. God, I need to move forward spiritually. Help me to take the next steps to go from just dipping spiritually to being really changed from the inside out. Help me to understand what you think of me. Help me to understand you want to be my best friend. Help me to understand I'll never get it perfect, but every day I can get it a little bit better. We need you, God. For those today who prayed and said, I want to become a Christian, thank you, God. For those who said, I need to forget my past, help them do that. For those who prayed to take the next steps, let us move forward and really become who you want us to become. We love you. We need your help in doing this. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together this morning, amen. Here's what I want you to do before we leave. And we're going to take our offering. We'll be out of here, though, in about five minutes. We handed out when you walked in a connection card. And as we, we handed this out so that our guests can let us know that they're here. But every time we meet, we want you to be able to tell us what's going on in your life. I think we even have a slide there. Let us know what's happening. You know, all kinds of things happen in the course of life that we would like to pray for, we'd like to know about. So every Sunday you'll have one of these, and you can just fill it out. If you're a regular attender, just fill it out. And on the bottom here it says check all the buttons. Just put regular attender. That means you don't have to give us your phone or email or all that. We've already got all that. But you can let us know what's going on in your life. If you're a first-time guest, please let us know you're a first-time guest or a second-time guest. But on the back, we've got some spiritual information that's important for us to know. These will come right to me today, and I will try to personally follow up with you Today, several of you in the auditorium raised your hand and said, Today I became a Christian. That's awesome. Check that little box and let us know. We just want to send you some stuff. Again, our promise to you is we will not come to your house without being invited. So we're not just going to show up on your doorstep if you fill out a card. But if you invited Jesus into your life, if you recommitted your life today, if you'd like to start volunteering, maybe that's your next step. You've been in church forever and now you feel like you need to do something. If you want to get involved in a Bible study or get baptized... And then if you want info about becoming a Christian baptism, what we call spiritual growth plan, all kinds of fun stuff. And if you have any prayer requests, you can fill this out and let us know. And we would love to know what's going on in your life. Thank you, guest, in advance for filling this out. Again, we will not harass you, but we will reach out to you. 
uh, and let you know what's going on in our church. One thing we do need help with before you turn in your connection cards. Go to the next slide if you would. This entire church, everything you see, comes out of that box right there that's sitting out in the parking lot. It's called a church in a box. You buy those for churches like ours that are just starting up. It takes about an hour to set everything up, an hour to tear everything down, but we always need helps hanging pipes, plugging in microphones, just doing everything. If you're available on Sunday mornings, a little before church or a little after church, one way to really get to know some people in our church is by volunteering to help. If you can help even once a month, once every six weeks, if you just write your name on the connection card, on the back of this card in the prayer request section, just write set up, tear down. We'll get in touch with you, see what you're interested in. We'd love to have your help in that. Ushers, I'm going to ask you to come forward now as we get ready to, to take our offering. And I want to thank you in advance for giving um, the way that you're already giving at our church.